Well, welcome to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder. And, you know, we've had some kind of trendsetters, I guess, those that are, are breaking either glass ceilings or baseball diamonds. And this week it'll be the NFL sideline, I guess. We have ourselves a first female vice president in the history of our country. Last week we had Sue Falzoni, the first woman in Major League Baseball. And this week, we're just going to continue on. We're going to have Dr. Jen Welter on the show. And Coach Jen, Dr. Jen, she goes by a few different monikers there. She was the first female coach in the NFL. That happened just a, a few years back, 2015, when she was with the Arizona Cardinal organization. And, well, she's she's got a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about. So, hey, Coach Jen, welcome on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So the first question I got to ask is, how did you land a coaching gig with the Arizona Cardinals? Well, you know, I, I was a longtime women's tackle football player. And so I think just like anybody else who gets to a high level in whatever their profession is, it's doing the work for a really long time. And so 14 years women's tackle football um, had the opportunity to win four championships with the Dallas Diamonds, play on the first and second U.S. women's national team in 2010 and 13. And then after 2013, I entered the world of men's pro football in the most painful way possible. And why do I say that? Because I actually played. Um, so I played a season with the Texas Revolution, which was um, a men's indoor football league team. Um, and from that experience, uh, the relationship that I built and the positive impression I made on the guys and the teammates, when we had a new head coach, Wendell Davis, former Dallas Cowboy, come in the following season, he saw how the guys and I related. And he basically said after meeting me, he's like, you have to coach my football team. And I was like, no. And he said, what do you mean no? And I said, no, no, no. Uh, you know, women don't coach football, I'm, I'm not going to do that because there was nobody I could look at and say, you know, I want to be her or I could do what she's doing. So in my mind, it was like, no, like, why would you think that? And he said, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. I said, no, I hung up on him. And the next day he called me back and told me about myself. Um, you know, football coaches, we don't, we don't really do well with no uh, so he said, do you remember how I told you not a lot of guys were going to give you this opportunity? We're taking this job. I said, yeah, so good. I took it for you. You're coaching for me. And by the way, you can't quit. Otherwise the entire narrative surrounding women coaching and men's pro football will be, we had a girl once and she quit. Oh, he nailed you on that. Oh, he totally did. Because though I would not... Um, or at least did not at that time, would not have stepped up to the challenge. I also don't quit. So once you took that part out of it, I'm like, well, I can't quit, right? Like, and I lovingly say that Wendell drop kicked me to success because he saw something in me before I even saw it in myself. And I think that's a really, really important point um, for anybody who wants to be an ally, right? Like we talked about women breaking barriers and, you know, I, I lovingly say, yeah, women are trending, right? We're trending upwards. Well, for those who want to be a great ally, realize that 
it's hard if you haven't seen somebody um, who looks like you do what you might want to do. So as a guy, you can be a great ally and say, hey, have you thought about this? Here, I'm going to help you on this. Hey, if you know, if you did, um, if we got you to just meet this person or do this, this could probably happen and be there with them. Um, then you'll be surprised at how like how much women will level up to those to those expectations. Um, and it it can be really you know, things that guys don't a lot of the times think are that big, but for women, if they're coming from the outside, it's absolutely huge. And so, um, Wendell saw that in me, um, I was coaching on the Texas revolution when another woman, uh, broke a barrier and, you know, breaking glass is kind of contagious, right? When a woman breaks one barrier in one area, it starts to make people think differently, right? I wonder if that could work here. And so when Sarah Thomas got hired at the, as the first full-time ref in NFL history, a reporter asked Bruce Arians if he could ever see a female coach in the National Football League. And he said, the second a woman proves that she can make these guys better, she'll be hired. So I talked to my head coach. My head coach said we should call Bruce. And eventually I called Bruce and left a message for him on behalf of my head coach. So to kind of like link those two up and BA and him eventually connected. And then he ended up inviting me to join the Arizona Cardinal staff. Um, and so, you know, obviously there were steps in between that, but it really was like, you know, Sarah Thomas being hired, which triggered the question um, and Bruce Arians became the answer. Well, then continue that further. Now, Bruce is with Tampa Bay, who that organization happens to have a female coach. And they went against in the wildcard playoffs two weeks ago. They went against the Washington football team, who also happened to have two female coaches on their squad. And it was the first time in NFL history that female coaches were facing each other on opposite sides of the field. And then this Super Bowl, we're going to have our very first female NFL referee, which is right Sarah Thomas, field as well, which is Sarah, which is Sarah exactly. Thomas. And Sarah. yes, so the Washington football team actually has Jennifer King, um, and Tampa has two female coaches, so it's flipped. Uh, but it's low locus, and then they have a strength and conditioning coach as well. And the small world moment on that is that um, when I was taking a position with the Alliance of American Football, um, um, I pushed for them to have other females in the mix. And it ended up that Lo Locus was in the Alliance of American Football League and Jennifer King was as well. So um, it really does take many voices for there to be a chorus of change for you know more and more barriers to be broken. And it's really exciting to see these women getting opportunities and obviously excelling, right? Washington just said that Jennifer King would be retained as a full-time assistant, which is huge. Well, I think we just skipped over one big break through or, or, you know, shattering a glass wall with you was you had been playing uh, 
women's tackle football, which by the way, listening audience, we're not talking about whacked out sports where every player is wearing some type of bikini or whatever and only shoulder pads. We're talking full contact hitting. Like I do not want to be on the field with any team like that myself because I'd just be a pincushion, be thrown everywhere. However, you made this jump from women tackle to men's tackle. What the heck was that all about? Was, were you just at the bar one night and you lost the bed and you had to show up the next morning? What, where did that come from? Um, no, it was actually the Texas Revolution, which was an indoor team. And they reached out to me after I'd won my second gold medal and wanted me to go through a day of training camp with their guys. Um, and it was interesting because I didn't know that until I got there, but I did know they wanted to meet with me. And when they pitched it to me, I was like, oh, so, so let me get this straight. You want me to like come in and maybe run some ladder drills, smile for the cameras, catch some passes. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, get you guys some really good pub. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, no, actually that's an insult to me as somebody who just won my second gold medal. And if I was any one of your guys, I would absolutely hate it. It's an insult to everybody involved. If you want to do anything with me and your football team, either I do everything that they do step for step, hit for hit for all of training camp, or I do nothing. And it was at that moment that things got really real, right? Our head coach, um, coach Dub went from, you know, drawing in his non-existent playbook because he was really not behind this game plan to all of the sudden being like, okay, she might be working with something, right? Like he kind of looked at me and he was like, all right. And then he was like, every drill. Yes, coach. Step for step. Yes, coach. Hit for hit. Yep. I don't think you're going to make it. And I said, I don't know either, you know, but he was like, all right, well, you know, if you're going to do it, this is what we're going to do. And so um, what was in, in, in its inception, I guess, or its ideation phase um, a day became all of training camp and then became an entire season. And um, it was, you know, one of the most painful things I ever did and also one of the most powerful. So do you feel like there was just a little bit bigger target on your back with some of the players on the team or even for that matter, some of the coaching staff, did you get a sense of that? Like, okay, well, she wants to play with the big guys, <laughs> so to speak. Let's, let's just show her what that really means. Or, or was it just, you know, completely across the board everyone's accepting this let's see what you can do well i think it's like any sport right when you get somebody who walks in the door and they're new you test them right i tested people when i was playing dallas diamonds you'd be like oh you came in and flag like okay well i haven't seen you with pads on so let's let's welcome you to football properly right like not not trying to hurt you but like this is a different game and you can make all those passes when no one's coming to hit you, but you know, can you secure the football um, when you're going to get hit right away? And you know, it's it's different, right? Like it is different to strap the pads on. And so, um, I think that that was actually a really important part of me going out there. Was like they didn't need me to run past them, run through them, you know, dominate them. What they needed to do 
is see that when I got hit, first of all, I wasn't going to throw up my hands and say, you can't hit me. I'm a girl. No, that's the job description, right? Like this is a part of the game and you're playing the game and it's the same game, right? But they needed me to get back up and say, you know what? I can do that better. Or, Hey, what, you know, what could I do here? Or, oh man, that was better. Or like, oh, you missed me, right? Like, what's up? Like, you know, just to be a football player, just like everyone else, which means we do some things great. We do some things bad. We've always got more to learn and that we could be great teammates together, right? So was I there for the right reasons? And could we get along in the process, right? And that socialization process was as big as anything else. Like I remember walking from one drill to the next, right? Um, and one of the coaches is like, hey, running backs, do you have your balls? One of the linebackers, right? He's like, yeah, coach, all but Jen. So I walked over to him and I smiled and I patted him on the chest. Sorry, patted him on the chest. And I said, that's okay, baby. When I need some balls, I'll just take yours out of your wife's purse. <laughs> oh, that, that'll do it. That levels it off. But when I did that and said it, it was like a collective sigh of relief, right? Because the guys were like, oh, she's cool, right? Like, oh, 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 we're going to go there. And I was like, yeah, you're right. We're going to go there. And let me tell you something, guys, remember, I have a PhD in psychology. I'm not going to go easy on you. In fact, when it comes to this, I will own you. And they'd be like, oh, you know, but they love the fact that we could joke back and forth, that it wasn't like I was, you know, getting mad about every little thing. Or I'm like, hey, you got to say woman in that or this. I'd be like, oh, really? You said that out loud, right? Like, you know, and we would just kind of laugh about those moments because it was different and it wasn't something they were used to, but it didn't mean it had to be terrible, but it does mean that there are some moments when you're like, yeah, that's not what I meant to say, but you know, and I would laugh, right? Like, and, and there were so many experiences within that experience that stretched me to get to know them better, to be somebody who, you know, as I say now, I'm like, I speak dude, right? Like, I, you know, and sometimes I probably speak dude better than I speak, you know, female because I, I'm used to the guys. Like you just cut to the heart of it. Like, oh, okay, we got in a fight and now we're over it. And now you, you know, you knocked me in the jaw and later I'm asking for, for tips on how you got that good right hook in as opposed to, you know, hooking in on a bad memory and bringing it up 20 years later, right? Like guys are, are different in that, right? Like their, their memory is shorter in terms of conflict. And, um, and so I, I find it really refreshing to be around guys. So they taught me a lot of that. And if I hadn't been in those scenarios, then I certainly wouldn't have done so well when I then had to coach the guys because would my approach have been as good? Would I have been as well received? Would I have been practiced in that communication? No. Would I have earned their respect already, which I earned by playing on the same field with them, right? No. I mean, I've had guys um, like NFL vets that I met, right? And to, to outsiders, the, 
the thing that they're that blows them away is like, oh yeah, she was the first female coach in the NFL. And I've had some guys who, um, you know, NFL guys who are like, yeah, that's cool. Right. Not a big deal. And they'll be like, what do you mean? Like, like, you know, that's a big thing. And, And I had one guy who literally looked at him and he was like, yeah, it doesn't mean that much. I had bad coaches. And he's like, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't mean that she's that great to me. And then he's like, but don't you know what she did before? And he was like, what? And he's like, well, she played against the guys. And then the guy looks and he's like, that's you? I didn't realize it was the same person. Because, you know, you can get into coaching in a lot of different ways, but there are not a lot of women who played against guys. So it just really, it, it really depends on the lens that you're, you're seeing it through. And I know when I went into Arizona, those guys knew everything about me, right? They had watched my game tape. They knew I played against the guys. And it was that credibility um, throughout my career that made them open to me being there, right? It wasn't I'm just like- you say that because I was wondering like, what was it like to transition from a player to a coach and it's, it's one thing to have your teammate and, and the guys, you, you know, you, you shoot the crap with them in the locker room verbiage and all that, but then to actually coach them in what to do. But it seems like it was almost seamless for you because of the fact that you played against the guys. That opened up a lot of minds, right? And, you know, and I also had like NFL big brothers kind of throughout my career and then different people who looked out for me and were, and knew that I was going to Arizona. So, you know, we all have a network of people that we know, right? Like I will never forget um, Nancy Lieberman, who is a dear friend of mine and mentor. Um, And I didn't know this until I was there, but you know, Larry Fitzgerald is a dear friend of hers. Uh And so she called him and was like, you better be good to her, right? Like that's my friend, do you better look out for her? Meanwhile, Ed Tall Jones, who has been one of my mentors and a good friend, is also co- close with Larry Fitzgerald. And he also called Larry and was like, hey, you better look out for her. And so Larry has never admitted that all these people called him, uh, <laughs> but Larry was always great to me. And I was always like, wow, he really is as good as everybody says he is. I mean, he's just taking this on himself to just be amazing to me. Meanwhile, you know, it didn't it didn't hurt that uh, Nancy had called him, Too Tall called him, and who knows who else called him. But also, one of the things that I can't take any credit for, and I actually didn't know until years later, one of the reasons why we were really successful in Arizona is because of the man that Bruce Arians is, right? He is... Um, a truly um, insightful leader. Um, And he is known as being a player's coach. Anybody who knows BA knows that. But when I was writing my book, I actually called BA and asked him some questions, right? Because I wanted to understand it from a leadership perspective, right? It's not easy to make that kind of a change, right? It's not easy to do something and literally change, you know, football, right? The, the like final frontier for women in sports, that's not easy. And why were we so successful? Right. And one of the things he told me is, you know, he was like, you know, when I brought it to the locker room and I was like, when he brought it to the locker room, 
And so BA had actually talked to the leaders in his locker room about what he was thinking of doing and they were all supportive. And I don't know who was in that, that leadership conversation that he initially had. He just said the leaders of his locker room. I have my, I have my suspicions, but you know, um, and he, he let them really make the decision or at least have a voice in it. And they were all for it. They were really excited to be a part of history and to have influence on changing the culture of the natural national football league. Like they were so excited to be a part of history. And I really think that a lot of that is because, you know, Bruce let them make that call. And so you already had players that had a vested interest in this, in this decision. And, you know, for anybody who's looking at something like that, that wants to, you know, shift culture and to look at how to do something like that very well, I think it's really important not to just say, hey, you're going to do this because I said so, right? Or you're going to like her because I said so, right? Like, no, I'm going to give you a say so. And, you know, and, and I remember just like, pausing in my mind like as he's saying this and I was like wow that was smart wow what a what a moment or what a person with forethought right because he essentially he set empowered up everybody yes right yeah. he he set us up for success um it wasn't just like a a walk in the door and now obviously I I I I would like to think that I obviously had to do well when I got there, but at least at least they were primed to listen because they had already been listened to in making that decision happen. And so after the Cardinals, you continued coaching too. It's not like that was the, the zenith of what you've been doing. I, I mean, what do you do after winning gold medals? Oh, well, I become a coach in the NFL, but what do you do after that? Well, you write a book, which I want to talk about. You also have gridiron girls I want to talk about, but where did you go after the Cardinals? And what was that like? That, that must've been a huge calling card or business card that you could just put down on the table. And so here, this is what I want to do. Well, I would not say that actually. I, I think um, it was really tough actually at first. Really? Um, really? yeah, because nobody knew what to do with me. They were like, oh, well, that's interesting, right? There was no, there was no support system set up. There was not, um, you know, mentors and agents and um, people guiding you saying like, oh, okay, well, we should put you here and you should do this. And, uh -huh. um, you know, you need to meet so-and-so. I was really on an island and not everybody was particularly thrilled with having a female in the NFL. Um, and it was kind of like um, walking between worlds a little bit, right? Like, hmm. you know, people imagined that I would be this immediate icon to like women. And um, that wasn't the case either. Um, I was to some, but a lot of women who have felt separated from football thought, well, she's in football. So there, there was actually a separation there because of the game that I was in. Um, 
and one that they thought we were, we were inherently different. It took a long time for women who didn't get football to get that when I was talking about my journey, it was bigger than football, that it was like, it could be anyone's journey. Mine just happened to play out in a football field and you didn't have to know anything about football to, you know, to find a kindred spirit. But building that bridge took a while. Um, and I remember, you know, and I love learning, right? Like I love the process that I went to because it's made me um, much more aware um, as opposed to just idealistic of like, of course, everybody should get it, right? This is history. Um, but like, I remember doing one of my first really big keynotes and this tech founder who had just fundraised like a, a bunch of money and, you know, had this super crazy business acumen, right? Um, but in tech where she was obviously a minority for a while, she goes, after I spoke and she's like crying, she, uh, you know, and I had gotten two standing ovations from this, this audience of just badass women, right? No other way to put it. And she's crying and she's like, coach, I have to tell you something. And I was like, what? And she was like, your story hit me so hard. It really just resonated. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I'm so glad. And she's like, and I almost didn't come because I was so pissed off that they chose a football coach as our keynote. And she was like, I was so mad. How could this football coach possibly have anything to tell me? And she was like, everything that you said, I was like, wow, that could have been my own life. And she said, and I don't think you actually said anything that really was football. And I said, no, I don't. I mean, I didn't talk any X's and O's, right? Like this isn't, this isn't the game of football that we're talking. It's the game of life via my lens of football, right? That happened to be my field of dreams. It happened to be the place where I broke through. But hopefully the messages, you know, transcend one, one field. And she's like, well, I never liked football. So I thought I would not like you. So we, you know, we all have those, those things that we hold close and football has been a place that has not been um, traditionally open to women. So there were women who were not open to me because of football, or they thought that, you know, um, I was not a woman for women as much because I came from a male dominated sport space. I mean, I heard these things so many times and it took a long time and a lot of consistency in just speaking truth and sharing stories and, you know, speaking up in situations that didn't have to do with football that, you know, people started to understand me, not just me as a representative of a sport that they may or may not like. Um, and that, that took a while, right? And there's still, you know, are so many areas that <coughs> women are underrepresented in football, right? We still have, you know, if you watch, there are there are, there are so many brilliant women who speak football very well, and yet 
there are very few women who have a platform to show people that they speak football very well, right? Like I have Liz Loza, who's a great friend of mine. She's in fantasy sports. She's a G, right? But her, she's a rarity in terms of women who are respected in speaking, you know, fantasy football. Fantasy football has, has become better, right? You have Joy Taylor, who she could talk any sport with anyone, anytime, any place, anywhere. And she's been doing some of the um, alternative broadcasts on Amazon Prime. So amazing. But when I can list off women on like, you know, not enough fingers and toes who are actually given voice within the sport, it means we still have a long way to go, right? And there are a lot of people who are like, well, why do we have like the panels at, at halftime of every broadcast channel and you know you're not up there like it's a great question it's way above my pay grade right could I talk it yes would I like to yes but we're not there yet in a lot of different ways and what's the answer to that I don't know right do you know do we have enough people making those decisions where does it come from so you know we get through societal progress conversations and we look at those and I say like look at basketball. Basketball has many more women talking basketball, yeah. right? Basketball has, you know, women coaches, but they also have, you know, Nancy Lieberman is an analyst. You see, you know, you've seen Tamika Catchings, you've seen uh, Lisa Leslie. I mean, you've seen lots of great women start to, to do that. Um, Kendall Coyne has done broadcasts. She's also done, you know, in, in hockey, you have Jessica Mendoza, like in baseball, you know, you're starting to see these things more and more, but football still lags behind in a lot of ways. And so a lot of the things that people thought would be logical next steps, um, we, we still have um, areas that need to happen for that to happen, I think, in football. And, you know, it may not be me who does them, but somebody needs to, right? Um, so that that next step after Arizona was really, um, was really probably one of the the toughest times of my life because it's like it's like a success hangover, right? Everybody's like, "Oh, you just made history. Now what's next?" And you're like, "Whoa, can I have a breath? I don't I don't know yet, right?" And and without mentorship and guidance, um, I, I certainly you know would like to think that if I would have had those people in place. I would be much further along um, now than I am. Um, and yet- Of the mentoring and guidance, you know, you, uh, you're doing that right now though, at least, you know, with COVID, it may have been kind of put off to the side, but 2019, Gridiron Girls, I mean, you're, you're leading a whole youth approach that you're planting and germinating seeds and ideas with the the youth of, of of females in football, so I I would love to hear more about the program that you have there because well, and, here you know, I to see me, things burgeoning yeah. from there. Well, and to me that was something that was, you know, surprisingly absent in the space, right? Um, there there were women all over the country who wanted to play football. There were girls who loved the game, but weren't getting the opportunity. So um, I launched NFL Play 60 in Canada as the spokesperson. And 
I really saw how important it was for the girls to have someone coaching at those camps and present to give them the same permission to dream that the boys had. And it made me want to do more. It made me really want to do that, per to, to be that person. And then I worked on the keep playing like a girl campaign um, for always um, as both a spokesperson and somebody who, you know, wrote some of the literature. So I got to put my doctor hat on for a bit. And um, there was some research that said, you know, um, half of girls will opt out of sports by the time they finish puberty. And the, and the reasons that were given were approximately seven out of 10 girls said the following things. They did not see themselves in sports. They felt society didn't support them in sports and there were not enough visible female role models in sports. So if you don't see yourself, if you don't feel like you're supported and there aren't enough visible female role models, is it any wonder why half would opt out, right? Because you're, you're not seeing that you belong and you're not seeing that there's a future. And to me, like that was a call to action. And so I decided I wanted to create Gridiron Girls um, we launched in 2017, so it's been about three and a half years now, and we created the first like natural national movement for girls to get them on the field and in the game, teaching girls that there is no game you cannot play and no field you do not belong in or on, because even when there were co-ed camps, the co-ed camps were roughly like when I would go and I would coach at other people's camps all over the country, um, you would see in a camp of 200 you might have two to four girls. And that was considered a lot. So one to 2% was considered a good showing of girls. And when you saw them, those girls were obviously the ones who had been, you know, their dads played with them or their brothers played with them and they had some knowledge. Um, and what was hard though, is to be a girl who just stepped into the game fresh and hadn't been socialized like the boys had, right? Didn't have somebody just teach them how to, you know, how to catch, how to catch a pass, right? Like the diamonds and the pinkies or, you know, how to throw a ball properly. Then you would get into those settings and immediately you're behind because somebody, everybody else has at least a little bit more knowledge than you. And what do we jump to as a society? What's, what's the go-to when a girl can't do it? Oh, you throw like a girl. Oh, you catch like a girl. No, you either throw a football or you don't. You either catch it correctly or you don't. It means you've either been taught or you haven't. And so what I wanted to do and thankfully had some great people like Anthony Stone, Lori Volk, like good friends of mine in the women's game. Um, I wanted to, to set out to give girls a great football first day, right? So if they came onto the field with us first, we would teach them all the fundamentals so that if they wanted to play in gym, they'd know that they could. If they stepped out into street ball, they'd know they could catch. They knew how it ran. And, you know, if they'd been playing before, obviously we can make them better, but we're going to bring you from where you are to a better place so that you feel confident, capable, and comfortable in this game 
because that teaches girls confidence, especially in a sport where they say it's the final frontier. So Gridiron Girls has really been, you know, my passion project. But even in that, when I started it, we couldn't get any sponsors. Nobody would back it. I self-funded it, um, you know, because it was the right thing. Now, could somebody who knew the business world better probably have found some of that stuff? Probably, but I didn't have those, those support pillars built around me. And I was like, well, it's the right thing and we're gonna do it. And so thankfully having done it well and you know, captured the attention of some good people along the way, um, Adidas came in and partnered with me in 2018 um, and signed me as their first football, you know, female um, ambassador in football and backed Gridiron Girls camps. So we've been able to do a lot of great work with that Adidas partnership. Um, but, you know, even for them, it was interesting because there wasn't a BU for girls in football, right? So normally if you were gonna back a camp or back a business or something, it would be because it aligned with one of your business units and girls in football was such a young thing that it, it didn't quite fit anywhere, right? Was it football? Was it was it social responsibility? Was it women's? Um, and yet Zion Anderson, who's the president said, we're going to do this. It's like, I don't, I don't care. Like, we're going to find it. We're going to do it. It's the right thing. And I mean, I have so much love and respect for Adidas because of that, right? Like, because it may not have been like the in the box business one, but it was a forward thinking business because now other people are starting to see that, yes, you know, girls can play football. We're seeing things like the NAIA announcing their first girls flag football collegiate season in 2021. Like that changes everything in football because for the first time in the history of football, girls can change the trajectory of their lives and their families' lives through education, through football. Like I, that's I, I, no exception. Honestly, I mean, I've got to say that I've got a daughter graduating high school this year and she played two seasons at Santa Cruz High last year, pre-COVID. They went as far as any, beyond any team in the school's history. And she played defensive back, but her main role on the field during the games was as place kicker. But uh, anytime you kick the ball away, you're on defense. So she had That's to learn right. defense and she was there. I mean, there was, I think she had the same kind of path that you explained yourself where it was, uh, she, she had to show that this was not just a statement. It wasn't a political kind of platform. I'm out here because I love it. When she was born, she was born on a Sunday and you and I, we're, we both spent some time in New England and you can see on my shoulder here, we got Julian Edelman catching that amazing grab against Atlanta in the Super Bowl. But she was born and the TV was on in the birthing room. My wife never paid attention to it. The Patriots were going against the Dolphins. So she was, about to ask you. Yeah, yeah. she was born under the side of a football. And she, you want to talk about stats and who's getting recruited. And, and when it comes to draft day, my phone lights up with so many texts. And who's it from? My buddy? No, it's from my daughter. You won't believe who they picked up. And she's on. 
on it. And now she's looking at colleges and she's sending out game footage and videos. And, and part of the decision-making process is if she's going to be able to play ball, if they have a football team there, you know? So it's happening. It is it's happening. happening. Vanderbilt this year, we got ourselves a, 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 a a soccer player converted into a field goal kicker and she did fantastic. There's another. Yep. yep. You'll have to um, make sure that your daughter tunes in. We're actually doing a panel. Um, I just posted about it on my, uh, my Instagram today via wise Tampa and it'll be uh, Sarah Fuller and I. So um, definitely make sure she tunes into that because I have a feeling that's right up her alley. Oh, that's perfect. Just send me all the information. I'll put it in the description and we'll send it out there because I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, we've got a little bit of time remaining. I want to hear about your book too. So you wrote a book called Play Big and, and the subtitle is? Lessons in Being Limitless from the First Women's Coach in the NFL. Well, that kind of says quite a bit right there, but uh, what it does. But even with that, like what I would say is, and I tell this because, you know, you thought it would be a golden ticket, right? Having, having um, come from the NFL, right? right? But being the first is difficult because people don't know what to do with you. So even when I went to get that book published, um, it, the original, um, the original book proposal was not play big it was tackle. It was a much grittier um, version of the football story. And it got turned by down by every single publisher. And they said, women in football doesn't sell. So it was a no across the board. The only um, publisher that would say yes was um, Seal Press. And, um, and they said, yes, but. And they said, yes, we want to do something with her, but we'll only do it if it's a motivational take on her story because we love the speaking engagements that she does. And we think that that book, um, we can do something with if it's based on her speaking. So um, that's where Play Big came from. And, and I remember just being really upset um, at first that, I couldn't write the book that I wanted to write or put that in the universe. And one of my mentors said, so do a second book. And I was like, huh? <laughs> it was like, you learned so much after the first one anyway. Nobody's first book does that well. So make this your first book, get over it, and then do a second one. And I was like, When's oh. the second one coming out? Um, I don't know. It's not, it's not written yet, but you know, it was like, it was like, oh, okay. Right. And, and I just remember though, like, you know, there are, there are so many no's that we're going to hear and that, and that doesn't matter who you are. The, what matters is what you do from there, right? Like creating Gridiron Girls um, was because I wanted the girls to have what I didn't have. Right. I wanted to be able to be that person who was there for them and visible and tangible and teaching them and out on the field so they could see that woman that maybe gave them a, a spark of hope to to keep going. And, you know, and a lot of the times we find ourselves not not from the easy times or the big times, but from the hard times. Um, and that's what's important. Right. Like because 
I always tell those girls like, go farther than I ever did, right? I didn't get to play football till I was 22 years old. And if you're all starting now, imagine how good you can be, how far you can go, if that's what you choose to do. And I think that those are the beautiful things in this world is that hopefully we use our, you know, what we did for something bigger, right? Like I always say, you know, what's truly powerful are like the ripple effects that happen from what you did, not just what you did in and of itself, but what can it create? What can it instigate? What can it motivate? Um, what will it give somebody permission to do in their own lives that, you know, wasn't there before or might've been hard to go after before? Great. Yeah, we, we learn so much more from our mistakes or when we hear no than from our successes, right? Mm -hmm. So where, where are you off to now? Where is all of this experience and your journey, where is it taking you? Well, I mean, a lot of that is still a work in progress and it always is. Um, you know, my life for me is, has, has been um, a journey of interconnectivity and finding voice. So a lot of what I do now is working to change the narratives. Um, so for example, consulting with Madden and becoming the first female head coach in Madden. Um, that means, you know, that to me was really important because now we're building the bridge between esports and sports. And also we can create a reality and a virtual one that is aspirational in nature to the actual world, right? We haven't yet seen a female head coach in the NFL, but now we're thinking about it, right? And now it's not going to be hard for any, you know, any guy who plays Madden to, you know, maybe he's kind of primed, right? Like if he had a female coach, like, oh, okay, that's cool. Right. Like I coached in an all-star game this past weekend. One of the guys was like, are you the chicken Madden? And I was like, yeah, I am. And he's like, I love team shutdown. And it was like, I'm glad you're my coach. Right. And one of the other kids was like, you're on the wrong team. Like I play with shutdown all the time. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> right. Like I didn't do it personally. Um, but you know, years ago it would have been like, why do we have a female? Right. It wasn't like, oh, I played your team on Madden or, you know, when I got out there and I was coaching them up and they didn't know who I was, um, you know, they were like, I think maybe who comes out here with that much swag to a football field? And I was like, mm -hmm. um, but for me, I'm working on on those narratives. I have a partnership with the Hall of Fame Village um, where Gridiron Girls is going to have a home base and I'm going to work to make sure that um, there is female inclusion in all the initiatives that they have going and the stories that are told, um, and continue obviously the programming. And I'm, I'm also teaching at Ryerson, um, leadership and communication, uh, social capital. So that's good. Really helping people hone in their voice. And then, you know, I have a kid's book series that was really born out of COVID as a way to help people with the challenges of the time, particularly the young ones, because I have a, a real affinity for kids and that's called Critter Fitter, using critters to get through kids fitter through motion and emotion. Um, and we've gotten some really good feedback on that. So um, just different ways that whether it's, you know, my experience through education or through life that um, 
can help empower people and channel voice. Um, I do a lot of consulting. I'm on a few different boards, um, you know, and speaking is actually where I make money. I lovingly say that everything else costs me money, but that's okay. Um, it's called an investment, right? Wow. That's wonderful. I, I do have another podcast that's uh, more about fitness, which I would love sometime to invite you back and, and talk about Critter Fitters because uh, anything we can do to encourage movement in the youth is going to make for a much happier future. And so that would be fabulous. And I guess what all I, I want to really say is, is truly from my heart, thank you. And, and, and I mean that like, thank you for all you are continuing to do to just to open up minds and to, to close down biases. And it's just, it's just inspiring. Uh, not being a female football player, it doesn't matter. Just seeing that, you know, no matter how many places the door closes, there's always going to be an opening somewhere. You just have to keep trying every knob, you know, and, and that's what I hear you're doing. And, and I just, I, I can't say thank you enough. Absolutely. My pleasure. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. Thank you so much, Coach Jen, for coming on and sharing such inspiration and knowledge. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to our channel, and we'll see you next week.